What's up, everybody? How we doing tonight? Good. Let there be light. Um, no, if you guys only knew the trials and tribulations of filming that bumper, you would have such a greater appreciation for it. But no, uh, my name is Connor. I normally work with the volunteers here at Young Adults, but it is my honor and it is my privilege to be able to share with you tonight. Um, I, I know Charlotte asked earlier, but how many new people do we have here tonight? How many new people? Awesome. Welcome. Welcome. Well, we hope you feel right at home. We hope that uh, you feel like family. We hope that you meet your significant other, get married, have a bunch of kids, that your kids go to mines and tithe so I can pay off my school debt. So we have got a plan for you laid out already. So welcome. Uh, you belong here. <laughs> No, but we started a new series last week called Road Trip, and Doug, in only the way that he can, opened us up by giving us um, the best advice that it's not always wise to follow your heart. And so um, tonight, my hope and my prayer is that I just get to build off that, that I get to uh, encourage you guys and challenge you guys um, in, in the road trip of life and uh, following Jesus. So before we get rocking and rolling, um, let's say a quick prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much for everybody in here. We know that not a single person is in here by accident. Um, God, I pray that tonight you would just watch over uh, every single person in here, that you would prepare their hearts for a word, that you'd prepare their minds to um, just grasp what we want to talk about tonight, God, that you would just love on each and every single person in here tonight, God. And I pray that when we come here, we're not just coming to hang out with friends, we're not just coming to sing a couple songs, we're coming to worship the most holy, perfect, amazing God in the entire world, and we're so ready for that. And God, bless the warriors, help them just crush the Cavaliers so that LeBron goes down out of the top 10 of all time. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome. Guys, what happened last night with the Warriors game? That was ridiculous. I'm sorry, you need to leave. If you just said go, Kath. No, no I got a question for you guys. Um, how many people growing up would go on big family vacations? Did anybody in here get the opportunity to go on big family vacations? So uh, when I grew up, my parents both worked in the public school system, the local public school system. And so any time that I had a day off or any time I would have Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever, so would they. And so that lent to us having summers off together. And we had all these amazing traditions. We went on all these trips. Like on the 4th of July, we would always go to my aunt's beach house in uh, Ocean City, Maryland. We would always go down to Myrtle Beach for the summer. Um, we had these awesome trips that we'd always get to do because we all kind of had school off at the same time. But there was one summer where we were going to a family reunion. And the family reunion was somewhere out west. I can't even remember. I want to say it was somewhere in Wyoming. And so to make the most of it, because uh, you get about, what, two, two and a half months off during the summer when, when you're in elementary school and high school and all that. And so I was probably fifth or sixth grade maybe, and we planned out this giant out west trip. And we planned to hit all the big uh, national spots, you know, throughout America. And so... We got to go to Yellowstone National Park. Uh, we got to go to the Grand Canyon. We got to go to the Badlands. We got to go to Arches National Park, Glacier National Park, Mount Rushmore, Four Corners, everything. And I think we got a couple pictures uh, up there of my travels and of my trips. Maybe. Um, there we go. So there's me. 
Um, Mom, Dad, why did you not make me eat salad? Why did I eat Fruity Pebbles all the time? No, but there's me in those glasses, and I thought I was the coolest guy ever in those glasses. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just a bunch of pictures that I have that uh, just kind of chronicling our journey. Yeah, look at that. Look at, the, look at the cowboy swag that I got going on. A little Western, little Florida Georgia line look right there. Yeah. No, but so throughout this course of traveling, there was one catch. My family drove everywhere. So when we came out west, we drove. We actually packed up our uh, blue expedition. We hooked up our pop-up camper, and we took off for the open road because there were six of us, and buying plane tickets for six people is crazy expensive. And so over the course of just years of my life, I have racked up some miles in travel. And I don't want to brag, but I think it's kind of made me an expert in road trips. And so tonight, to get started, I want to clue you guys in on just one little piece of advice that will guarantee that you have the most amazing and incredible road trip the next time you want to go out, the next time you want to travel, the next time you want to take some Snapchats with mountains or go Instagram some pictures and make everybody think you live this fantasy life when like you just got like the day off of work and wanted to go do something. So I've got this one piece of advice for you. So Honestly, take out your phone, take out a pen or piece of paper. You can even write it in your Bible. It's that important. Um, one piece of advice for the perfect road trip. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Suspense. I feel it. Suspense. The perfect, the one thing you need, the one component for a perfect road trip is a destination. <laughs> right? A destination. And you're probably thinking, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> but no, you need a destination. It's actually very important. If you're trying to go somewhere, you need to know where you're trying to go. And if we're sticking to this analogy that our life is like a road trip, um, we need to have a destination for our life. We need to have an intentional destination for our life. And as Christians, we need to be intentional about where that de destination is because if we're not, there are so many things in our world and in our culture that will pull us in one direction or the other and try to define our destination for us. Our culture would love to define our destination. And the destination that our culture right now is on a kick, I was studying like what, our cult, like what mattered to our culture throughout the years. And our grandparents, it was like working hard and providing for our family. And for our parents, apparently, it was like down with the man, like power to the people. And like, and like our generation, we are stuck on us. Uh, we, the culture tells us that the purpose of our life, the most important thing of our life, the ultimate truth is to be happy, to find this sense of selfish, like happiness within our life. And this is what they say, man, do whatever you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you no, don't, you may, you just be who you are. Don't, there's no rules. If it makes you happy, if, if it's, if it's what you want to do, then go out and do it. And if you think about that for like two seconds, you realize that is super illogical. And so a lot of people cushion that statement by saying, yeah, do what you want to do. Fo follow your heart. Be whoever you want to be. Don't let anybody tell you no, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And that also is not very logical because what if you do want to hurt somebody? Then you can't be who you want to be. Or what if your actions, <laughs> literally, 
Or what if your actions don't cause physical harm, but what if they cause like an indirect emotional harm to somebody? Can you still be whoever you want to be or pursue whatever you want to pursue? And I want to let this logic play out. This is a very true story. Um, When I was a little kid, I was like elementary school, maybe three or four years old, I don't know, uh, young enough to be dumb. And uh, I, I would go to my grandma's house, and my grandma would babysit me, and my aunt, who, who's a little bit younger, um, was there. And she was either in high school or in college, I can't remember which one, um, but she would be getting ready for school. So she'd be curling her hair, putting on her makeup, like doing all this stuff, and we would just kind of be hanging out. I'm really close to her. And so uh, she would be babysitting me, and I don't know why, but as a kid... I knew in my heart, I knew in my heart, and I knew it was right, and nobody could tell me no, and I knew it wasn't going to hurt anybody else, but I knew deep down in my heart, my destination, my purpose was to put her curling iron in my mouth for some reason. <laughs> but, if we, but if we follow the logic that the world tells us to do, do whatever makes you happy and do whatever it takes to get there as long as you don't hurt somebody, this is totally logical. I wanted to so very badly. I, like I believed with all my heart it would make me so fulfilled and it didn't hurt anybody else. And so one morning, my aunt's getting ready and she's curling her hair and putting on her makeup and she leaves the bathroom and I seize my destination. <laughs> And I grab a piping hot curling iron and I stick it right in my mouth. And I was so fulfilled for like a millisecond until I realized what a stupid decision that was. But that's the logic that the world tells us to follow. And it kind of sounds a little like sin, right? Like buzzkill, right? Like that, that sounds a little like sin. The Bible talks about there's a way that seems right, even to a little ignorant three-year-old that wants to eat a curling iron. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it burns you. It leads to death. And that's why, as Christians, it is so important for us to have a defined destination for our life. And the more I read my Bible, the more I study, the more I pray, just kind of searching out, God, what am I here for? What is my purpose? What is the destination for my life? The more I read, the more I search, the more I pray, the more I see this, that our destination as people, as Christians, as God's people, is holiness. Our destination is holiness. And so the title of my message tonight is this, Follow Jesus, Pursue Holiness. Follow Jesus, pursue holiness. Tonight I want to talk about holiness and what it looks like for God's people to pursue holiness. Um, And like I said, the more I studied and the more I researched, the more I realized that I'm just beginning to scratch the surface of this holiness thing because the Bible says that God is holy. And if God is holy, then I'm just going to spend the rest of my life investigating what that means because you can never exhaust God. And so the reason I say that is because I want to come at you guys tonight not as the authority on holiness, not as somebody that just because he has a stage or a microphone tells you how to live their life and wags a finger at you. I want to come at this message tonight on holiness as somebody who loves Jesus and is following after Jesus and is walking along with you and beside you in this pursuit to our destination called holiness. But we live in a generation that's a little naive to holiness. 
We live in a generation that's not too keen on holiness because we have been blessed, and I mean absolutely blessed, to be raised in a church and in a culture that says grace, 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 saved by grace, only through grace, saved by grace, and that is beautiful, and that is true, and that is good and perfect doctrine, but just as beautiful and just as true and just as good doctrine is this concept of God's people pursuing holiness. And I think because we've grown up in such a grace-infused culture, which is not a bad thing, I would much rather uh, lean on the side of grace and not this idea of holiness where you might have to work your way to God for something. I would much rather lean to the side of grace, but I think because we live in such a grace culture, we don't understand what holiness is. And oftentimes, holiness kind of gets confused for uh, behavior modification and for legalism. We don't really understand holiness, and we think that it is uh, this, this kind of thing where we have to act a certain way, behave a certain way, and we have to be very legalistic about it. And I actually, when I went to college, I went to a school called Southeastern University down in Lakeland, Florida. If you've never heard of it, there's a reason. Um, it's really kind of a crappy place, but the school is like this oasis in the middle of a desert. Um, it's right in the middle of Florida where, by the way, if you, ever, if you are doing a road trip, don't go to the middle of Florida. Like, go to a coast. <laughs> but... I went to this school called Southeastern in Florida, and about 40 minutes away, closer to the beach, was this school called Clearwater Christian University. And you can Google it. I don't feel bad talking about it because it closed last year, and you'll see why. But we used to have a ton of people from Clearwater transfer to Southeastern. And the look of liberation on these people's faces when they walked through our doors was amazing. And I had friends that used to go there, and they would tell me these horror stories. And, I, and, and literally, I was on Google. I was looking up to see if I could find the student handbook for it. But it got listed as the ninth most strict college in the world, I believe, by, like, findmycollegeorsomething.com. And so this place was, like, legit, like, strict. And so... You like, if you, uh, if you would go there, you know how like there's this thing of like, oh, girls like better measure your skirt so they're long enough. Like they would, the RAs would literally like measure your skirt. Like they would literally walk up and like measure it. Um, you couldn't hold hands on campus. I heard rumors, I can't confirm this one, but I heard rumors that in certain parts of the school there are actually separate walkways for guys and girls. Not kidding. There were two different pools, one for guys and one for girls, because God forbid somebody see somebody in a bathing suit, like they just wouldn't go to the beach and do that anyway. <laughs> and this is true. I know this for a fact that this is true. Um, if you were planning on dating somebody, you had to go to a professor or a guidance counselor, tell them that you were planning on dating this somebody, and then they had to go with you on your date. And if they found out that you were dating somebody, without them going on your dates, you would be expelled. And that's true. I saw that in the student handbook. And when we hear holiness, isn't that kind of what we think about? This school had all these good intentions of trying to make their students conform to a pattern of holiness when all they kind of ended up doing was projecting this legalism and projecting this behavior modification. And if we're not careful... The impression that we can get when we talk about holiness is a bunch of rules and regulations and things that we think we have to do to earn God's affection. And we've been so inundated with grace, 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 that we tend to negatively look towards holiness. When actually, as we're about to see, holiness is the destination for the life of a Christian. Holiness. 
And so before we start talking about the implications of holiness and how we pursue that, I want to lay a solid foundation for you guys because so many times we think that grace and holiness rest on two different ends of the spectrum. And Chad did a message at Young Adults about a year ago, and he described it perfectly. Grace and holiness are in this beautiful dance where one can't exist without the other. And I want to lay the foundation of grace and holiness before we get started tonight. And so the first point I want to talk about is this. Grace is the starting line. Holiness is the destination. Grace is the starting line. Holiness is the destination. Grace empowers holiness. Grace empowers holiness. We often don't think of grace and holiness like walking hand in hand. We also think of holiness in some terms of like performance to earn uh, good standing or right standing with God. And I want to be so crystal clear with you guys tonight. Um, there is absolutely nothing you could ever do in your life to earn one ounce of grace with God. As Christians, we do not believe we work for anything. That is why they call the gospel and the Bible a mystery. That is why they say that it is a mystery that has been revealed for some reason. A holy God looked down on an unholy people and said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for you, and there is nothing you can do about it. That is grace. And so, so often what we do, though, we see this grace, we hear about this grace, we cling to this grace, but we stop at grace. When as we're about to read, grace has a very intentional purpose. So Ephesians 2 is where we're going to kind of be hanging out for the most part tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 9 is where we're going to start. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to get them out because I don't know about you, but it honestly just helps me to highlight and underline things when people are talking. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you and I, myself included, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, and in this day that passion is me, 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 carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Okay, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And he raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this right here, this seating in the heavenly places with Christ is a concept kind of called already but not yet. You are already holy when you are in Christ. You are positionally perfect in God's eyes, although for the rest of your life you will be pursuing this holiness. Already but not yet. Already perfect, constantly pursuing holiness. It's Hebrews 10.14. Honestly, go read it, but that's for another day. Sorry, focus. Okay, here we go. Raise us up, seated with him in heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. For by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. Underline this. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God 
not a result of any type of work so that no one can boast. So let's get this straight because this is super important. God's unmerited favor, his unmerited love, the only way you can earn any right standing in God's eyes is what? Grace. Let's try that again because I really hope you all are tracking. The only way you could ever be right in God's eyes is through what? Grace. There we go. Awesome. Salvation is a gift. There's nothing you can do. There's no holiness that you could ever try to achieve. Your holiness, your attempts at doing good things pre-grace, the Bible literally says are like filthy rags. But when grace comes into the picture, picture, it changes everything. When when holiness enters into the picture, it changes everything. Grace changes everything with our relationship with God. And in the rest of Ephesians 2, Paul just kind of continues to go over the repercussions of this amazing grace. He says that it unites the Jews and the Gentiles. It ends the system of of the regulation of the law. It uh, gives us access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. That's crazy, okay? It gives us access. This grace gives us access to a holy God. And honestly, you should read it sometimes, you should take notes, you should study it. Ephesians 2 is amazing. But I want to focus on something because when Paul is talking about this unmerited favor, this grace, the only thing that can save your soul, this grace has a purpose. He's getting somewhere. He has a point. And we're going to pick up in Ephesians 2 verse 20. It says this, together, because of this grace, together we are his house built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone of this house is Christ Jesus himself. And we're carefully joined together in him, what? Becoming holy. Becoming holy. Becoming a holy temple of the Lord. Chad, in his message, when he talked about grace and holiness, said this, and and honestly, the more I think about it, the more I pray and read about it, it's so true. Grace that doesn't lead to holiness is not grace at all. Grace that does not lead to a desire for holiness is not grace at all. And Oswald Chambers, he wrote a book on on God's holiness, and he says this, God did not come to save us out of pity. God didn't come and offer you grace so that you could just remain pathetic and sinful. He did not come and offer you grace so that you could just kind of wallow and stay the same way that you've always been. He says, God didn't come to save us out of pity. He came to save us because he created us to be holy. He came to save us because our intention, our original design was to be holy. We don't receive grace for the sake of grace. We receive grace for the sake of holiness because God is holy and he calls us to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And if we hear that, if we hear that statement, man, be holy because I'm holy. I'm sure that Clearwater Christian told that to their kids all the time. Be holy because God's holy. And if we hear that statement and we don't have the foundation and we don't have the lens of grace, it sounds like an indictment. Measure up because God's perfect and you need to try to be perfect too. Without grace, that statement means measure up and try to do everything you can and try to be super great. But through the lens of grace, because of grace, that empowers us to be holy. 
when we see it through the eyes of grace, be holy because I'm holy, then we see a God who is willing to make himself low and pay the price for our sins and cancel our debt through the cross and make an unholy people holy. Be holy because God is holy. Be holy because it's the greatest thing, this communion with God. Pursue holiness because God is holy. Because of God's grace, pursue holiness. And that has to change the way we see and we approach uh, holiness. No longer is holiness this behavior modification or this mindless obedience. Holiness is now a joy that we believers get to partake in. We get to strive for holiness for no other reason than because we have freely been forgiven. We, we get to strive for this holiness. We get to strive for this relationship with God of doing things the way he says to do because he's holy and he's told us how to do it and it's of no obligation. It is free because we have been freely forgiven. We pursue holiness because we want to be more like Jesus. The heart of holiness is simply this, God, I want to be more like you. The heart of holiness is simple, God, make me more like you. Make me more like Jesus. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of his grace, because of his grace, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, what? Holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Because of God's grace, holiness is no longer some type of legalistic have to. Holiness is now an offering of ourselves to God as the truest act of worship. Pursuing holiness is one of the purest acts of worship that we can do. And you have to walk in grace to pursue holiness Holiness does not work without grace. It is a grace-empowered holiness. But when you offer yourself to God, because of his grace, you can offer yourself to God holy, and it pleases him. And it is the purest form of worship. And all it is is saying, God, everything I do, everything I work for, everything I have is yours. The way that I act, the way I behave, the way I conduct my relationships, the way I conduct my money, everything is yours. Pursuing holiness. And I know what you're probably thinking. This sounds super great, but holiness is a holy word. It's kind of up there. Like, where in the world do I even start with this in my life? How in the world is this even practical in the slightest bit? How is this practical at all? And as I said from the, at the beginning, I'm literally just dipping my toe in the deep end of what grace is and what holiness is and that beautiful relationship, that beautiful dance that they have together. But the one thing that I keep on coming into and the one thing I keep on seeing and the one thing that I keep on reading is this. Grace is the starting point. The destination is holiness. And God's word is the map that takes us from our starting point to our destination. Grace is the starting point. Holiness is the destination. And God's word is the map that we use that takes us from our starting point to our destination. Band, you guys can make your way back up. Practically speaking, we pursue holiness by obeying God's word. 
We pursue holiness by obeying God's word. So if you're in here and you're saying, I want to pursue holiness because I honestly believe in my heart that I have been shown this undeserving grace that I've never deserved in my life and I couldn't ever even work for or measure up to, uh, how do I pursue holiness in response to God's grace? Psalm 119 verse 9. I love that the Bible answers like everything for us. Psalm 119 verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? How can a young person be holy? How can a person even begin to try to walk in holiness? How is this played out in my life practically? How can a young person remain pure? How can we be holy? Simple, by obeying God's word. By obeying God's word. And this is why it's so important for us to define our destination and have an intentional destination with our life because the destination that you choose will then lead to whatever map or whatever road will take you to your destination. Your destination determines the map that you use to get there. And if the destination of a Christian's life is holiness that is fueled by grace, that holiness for no other reason than because God is holy, then the map that we use to get there is God's word. And it is the authority that we allow ourselves to be submitted to. And that also means, and this is very important, that also means that we need to understand that grace isn't the destination, but it is the avenue to get us to where we can pursue holiness. And holiness is the destination because if all we hear is grace, 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 grace without its partner, which is holiness, then we get an incomplete view of what the Bible's actually trying to say. And I know some of you are thinking, are you really telling me that I have to follow the Bible? Like this big book that kind of sits on my bookshelf and accumulates dust or this thing that my grandma used to try to beat me over the head with as a kid so that I would line up and like do the right thing. Are you really saying that I have to like actually listen to what the Bible says? Absolutely, I am saying you have to listen to what the Bible says. Because what we believe is this. We believe that God is so, so beyond us, so holy, and that for whatever reason, he's chosen to reveal his holiness through a written word by inspiring people to write an inerrant word to his people. And the reason it's so important is because God is holy. The reason we want to follow the Bible is because God is holy. The Bible actually says this prophet named Isaiah went into the, the courtroom of God where God the Father actually dwells. And this is interesting, and, and Chad talks about this in his message. It's cool. He goes in and he sees God, and God's sitting on a throne, and the throne is actually called grace. But these angels that are closest to God the Father... They're circling around him and they're not screaming mercy, 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 or they're not screaming grace, grace, grace. They're screaming holy, holy, holy is God. The Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. He is holy. And the reason we have to cling to God's word is because he is holy and he has revealed himself to us in his word and he actually tells us how to respond to him. That's why it's so important. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now get this. 
Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, the mindset that this world is trying to offer you to define your destination. Do not be conformed to this way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What, what do you renew your mind with, God's word? How does a person stay holy? How does a person pursue purity? By obeying God's word. And why do you think it says don't conform to the patterns of this world? Because the author was saying, David or whoever wrote this was saying, um, the world will offer you, uh, Paul, sorry, Paul wrote Romans. Oh my goodness. Okay, the, the, what he's saying is the world will offer you stuff and it'll be really tempting. But because of God's mercy, offer yourself holy to God as an act of worship and don't conform, but renew your mind with God's word. The world says, pursue what makes you happy. Do you, don't let anybody tell you that anything is wrong. If you feel like in your heart it's right, it's right. Be happy, pursue happiness, pursue happiness. And God says, do what makes you holy. Be holy, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. But if we don't see grace in the light of holiness, if we don't see these two things working together in harmony and complementing each other beautifully, then we can begin to see grace as a free pass to chase after whatever desires our heart tends to have. And slowly but surely, we start to compromise the destination which is holiness for our life, and we start to veer off course and take detours. And I, I kinda wanna have this illustration. I don't know if it's good or not. I thought it was clever, but Imagine this is like the perfect Christian life. This is what our lives should kind of line up with. Maybe not perfect, but this is what somebody who has been empowered by grace, who has received God's grace in their life, this is what their life kind of looks like. At the top is the Bible and they filter every other thing in their life through what God's word says. But if all we hear is grace, 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 and we have no context that grace empowers us to holiness, we can start making these compromises and this is what happens. The thing that we kind of want that's gonna, that's gonna give us a little happiness starts to be the destination and the direction of our life. And we say, God, man, I love your word. I love coming to church. I love what the Bible has to say about grace. I love that I can't really mess up because there's grace. I, I, I love this concept of grace, but I really want this promotion. And when I went on this sales pitch, my friend Dan did absolutely nothing and I sold it and I inked the deal. And so when we get back, I'm gonna go to my boss and I'm gonna throw him under the rug because I deserve this promotion. And so when you put something above the filter of the Bible of, of being kind to your fellow man, of, of building other people up, then this becomes your destination. And the choices and the decisions that you make are now filtered through this. And whenever you mess up and whenever you feel bad for doing something like this, you say, well, I can apply some grace when this isn't the filter. Or maybe things are a little tough at home and it's hard to pay the bills. And so you've been dipping in to the piggy bank at work to make things meet. But God, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your grace when grace that doesn't lead to holiness isn't grace at all. Or maybe it's not money and power. Maybe it's not promotion. Maybe it's your sexuality. 
Maybe it's your sexual preference or, or your identity. Maybe, maybe you come in here or you go out and you idolize marriage so much that it is now kind of the most important thing in your life and you go to the Bible and you look for all these passages on marriage. God, I want to be married. God, I want to be married. God, I want to be married. But because you're not married and you have these sexual frustrations built up, you turn to pornography or you turn to a friend with benefits and you know you shouldn't do it, but that marriage now has become the goal of your life. It has become the purpose of your life. And so every decision that you make now will be filtered through marriage. And, and whenever things mess up, you just apply a little grace. Or maybe the biggest identifying factor in your life is your sexual preference. Maybe like that is just what defines you. Instead of being defined as a child of God who Jesus has died for and redeemed, maybe the thing that you cling to most is your sexual preference. And if it is your sexual preference that is the strongest part of your identity in your life, every single decision you will make will be filtered through that lens and will lead you to a place where your sexual preference is the end goal of your life. And whenever you feel bad, you just kind of apply a little grace. Please, please hear my heart tonight. There is not a single person in this room that pursues holiness perfectly. There's not a single person in this room that qualifies for God's love by what they do at all. There's not a single person that handles God's grace perfectly. But the thing that I love is if you can't earn God's grace by performing, if you can't act holy and, and modify your behavior and be legalistic and earn God's grace, then your struggle doesn't disqualify you from God's grace either. If you don't line up and if you do everything right and it still doesn't earn you God's love, then what you're going through does not disqualify you from God's love either. But the only thing that matters Man, and I just feel like when I read the books of the Bible and Paul says, man, I plead for you, please hear me. I would seriously beg you tonight if I could. The only thing that matters is whether you will accept a holy God who wants to make you holy. And holiness, when offered to God, when it's empowered by grace, when it's not trying to work for grace, but holiness, when it's empowered by grace, is the most beautiful form of worship we can offer a holy God. So we're gonna pray, but I wanna do something a little different tonight. The band is gonna sing a song. It's gonna sing a song called Hidden. And I know this might be a little out of fashion. I know this might not be what, you know, sometimes happens, but while the band is playing this song, I don't want us to stand, I don't want us to sing. I want us to sit in our chairs and I want us to repent. What in our life have we put above God's word, above his grace, above his desire for us to be holy? Because grace should empower you and make you full of passion to pursue holiness with God. And so I want you to sit and I want you just to say, God, search my heart. God, search my heart, find any offensive way in me and remove it. And as you do that, the band's gonna sing this song and I just want you to let them cover you with this song. 
And as they do this, and as we search our hearts, and as we repent and say, God, make me holy because you're holy, you're going to hear one of two voices. You probably hear both. The first voice is this. You're going to hear the voice of the enemy. And as you're searching your heart, he's going to say, look at you. And look, another message on holiness, another message about lining up, another message about follow God no matter what, because he just wants you to look this certain way. You're going to hear this voice in your head that says, you've done way too much, man. You can't measure up. You can't be holy. You're going to hear this voice that's going to condemn you and throw darts at you because it doesn't want you to search your heart and get right with the holy God. But then you're going to hear another voice, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he's going to remind you of what the Bible says, and he's going to remind you that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's God's grace that leads you to repentance. And when you search your heart and you say, God, find any offensive way in me, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And you'll say, God, please forgive me because I haven't been living holy. I've just kind of applied grace to however I want to live and think that I'm okay. And you know what he's going to say? Jesus died for you. My grace covers all transgressions. You are white as snow. Now worship me in holiness. Offer yourself to me in holiness. And if you mess up, if you slip up, it's grace-empowered holiness. There's no penance you have to pay. There's no uh, any type of ritual, anything like that. It's grace-empowered holiness. So if you fall off the horse, you hop right back on and you start pursuing holiness. I'm going to pray and the band's going to start to play. And can we search our hearts tonight? And we, can we just say, God, can you make us holy because you're holy? Jesus, we come before you tonight. And the prayer of my heart tonight is that my brothers and my sisters in this room would hear that your grace is so strong and your grace is so powerful. There is absolutely nothing in this world we could ever do to earn anything from you. And you love us so much that you freely give us grace. But God, grace isn't the destination, it's the starting point. And so I pray that as we search our heart, as we repent, God, would you meet us here? And would you use your grace to push us to holiness? We love you so much, Father, and it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.